from deep inside the tunnels, a regular one. It's the IGN DigiGods. Please welcome Con or Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Thank you, Bob. And to whom do we owe that uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan reference? Which listener? Uh, Makoto Tushkushima. No. Plus tax. I always love it when Bob does that plus tax thing. <laughs> That's Makoto Tsukushima, who, uh, whose name Bob can never, ever get right. Uh, Mark, I just want to say I'm really deeply disturbed by that bizarre piece of Japanese television that you showed me before the show. Uh, yes, it was a bunch of ca- uh, it was a, it must be some sort of Japanese uh, a variety show or game show. They had they had a uh, on the set they had about twenty to twenty five. Uh, covered pots and crock pots, crock pots, bowls and crock pots, bowls and crock pots, and there's about maybe twenty cats, and then at three two three two one go, whatever the Japanese equivalent of three two one go is, yeah, the hosts lifted the lids off the crock pots and they waited until each cat climbed into one of the pots. Utterly bizarre. That was it. That was the clip. And then the background music was... Uh... Oh, it was, it was a Japanese take on the Obla Di Obla Da. You know, when I was in Japan, when I was in Japan, this is a while ago, this is in 99, you know, uh, no. I literally, I got off the plane, mm. went to a sushi place yeah. about two hours outside of Tokyo. Of course Tokyo. you did. Of course I did. And, um, you know, they had a TV on, and right there, you know, you know, they always talk about how these big American actors do Japanese commercials because it yeah. pays so well, and nobody sees it in the States, so it doesn't sully sure. their reputation. Within two hours of getting off the plane, I saw DiCaprio hawking a car, and Meg Ryan, who in '99 she was still kind yeah. of kind of big, yeah. Meg Ryan hawking something else. So it's all true. They're yeah, weird. No, I know. I know. And that's why I love Lost in Translation. It just captures a certain thing. Nothing on Japanese television makes any sense. But you know, I had a um, uh, teacher at UCLA, one of my um, producing teachers. Uh, who went on to be very successful taking Japanese game shows and uh, variety shows and adapting them for American audiences. Well, what that happened was... Vin, Vin DeBona. Well, Vin DeBona is very, very famous, yeah. but uh, what happened was... But that's what Vin did for years. You know, he, he, he basically just went and pillaged some weird Japanese game show, and he tweaked with it a little bit, made it American, and... See, the, it, it's changed a lot, because what, what used to happen is people like Vin DeBona would take some Brazilian game show yeah. or a Japanese game show and adapt it for American audiences. Yeah. Now what they do is they take an American game show and they sort of, they do international versions of it. Yeah. Like you can do, you know, you can do Wheel of Fortune anywhere. Yeah. You know, so now that's what they do. Yeah. Really, what we're saying is, is that uh, this is the reason why we watch a lot of movies because the yeah. TV has become so horrible. Oh my gosh! Although that's not true, I think that you know, show you know, we talked about this a lot. Showtime, HBO, these original shows are great. I'd like to dedicate today's show to George Kennedy. I remember now. <laughs> now, now you just happen to say that, so you don't. So you don't know what I'm going to say. No, I remember. You know, George Kennedy was famous because he, well, he was famous for a lot of things, but basically he starred in all those airplane, uh, airport movies. Yeah. And he played a character. I'm going to, I'm, you know what? I'm, I, and I used to see these with my mother, yes. all, the, all the airport movies. And the airport movies were these big Irwin Allen star studded disaster films. Mm-hmm. And it was always an airplane that somebody had to land. It was Charlton Heston had to climb to the <laughs> cockpit at 30,000 feet and land the plane, whatever. And the one constant was George Kennedy. Who yes. played? And I bet you can't name the, the name of the character he played. Uh, absolutely not. I uh, I and I remember seeing the movies with with my mother and saying, "Where is? Uh, I think it was George Patron." Wow! Hang Look on, at you. I'm doing a I'm doing IMDb on this right now because George Kennedy did play uh, George Patroni or George Patron. Oh, hang on, folks. We're, uh, we're delaying the show for just a second. Yes. Joe Patroni, baby. Joe Patroni. There you go. He played Joe Patroni. He was the guy. He was the constant. Well, there you go. How many of those, how many of those, uh, of those air, airport movies did he star in? Uh, I don't know. He starred in too uh, many. The, the Concord airport, 79 oh, airport, gee, 77 airport, 75 and airport. So every time <laughs> I see one of these movies, wow. <laughs> and I saw a couple of my mother would be like, Where's Joe Petroni? That's all we cared about. And you know what? He always showed up. There you go. Because he's George. And by the way, George Kennedy, more famous 
if he's famous at all, with modern audiences. For the uh, Naked Gun for films. For the Naked Gun films. Yeah. Well, let's get into some DVDs. We also have some listener mail. We've let a lot of listener mail pile up because we've just had so much stuff from the holidays we're trying to dig out from and, you know, stuff overflows from week to week. But we're going to get back to some really good listener mail. We've gotten some very good listener mail over the last couple of months. And uh, we're going to get into some of that and uh, DVDs, of course, because that's what this show is all about. Because we're going to start off with some sports stuff. Mark, we're going to go through some sports. Uh, we're gonna, you know, some of you like wrestling stuff, and uh, this tables, ladders, chairs thing is apparently a big deal if you're into uh, WWF stuff, uh, WWE, WWR, WWF, all that, anything with WW. Uh, this is tables, ladders, chairs, 2010, and uh, when they say tables, ladders, and chairs, they're not talking about making furniture. They're talking about, um, you know, like like using it as a weapon. So odd. Um, anyway, this is one of the, you know, they always come up with new stuff over at uh, World Wrestling Entertainment. And uh, this is just one of them. It, this is one of those, uh, you know, Raw and SmackDown and all these different things that they do. So uh, this one just has a lot of these guys that have become really legendary. Kane and Rey Mysterio, who's on the cover of the DVD, and uh, John Cena and Wade Barrett, who I'm embarrassed to say shares my name. I don't get this. It's just the more brutal it looks. Uh, it, but the thing is, this isn't like, like, if I were into this kind of stuff, which I'm not, I'd be much more into uh, the real deal, you know, all of the, you know, the the the... Ultimate Fighting Championship stuff. All that UFC I, I, stuff. I, I don't like that stuff where you just like pummel people and that's like, it. But see, I, I think UFC really has taken a lot away from both fake wrestling. Yes, it's fake. And from uh, from boxing. Well, It splits the difference between the two. Well, boxing at this point is almost a dead sport. It's, yeah, it, it's, it really it's, is. It's, 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 it's been it's so crooked for long, so long, and they had so many chances to fix it, and they didn't. No, and you know what? There's there's no Don King anymore. There's no, no. There's, there's no big heavyweight to really capture the imagination of the general public. You notice this? Isn't it interesting now that all the big heavyweights? I mean, for years it was you know once you had the likes of Sonny Liston and Joe Lewis, it was like suddenly heavyweight boxing became primarily dominated by Black Americans. I mean, it really did. And then, you know, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier and George Foreman and all those guys. I mean, it really, there was a moment when, and it was, who, who was it who nicked out, knocked out Max Schmeling? Was that, uh, was that Liston? It was, uh, or was that Joe uh, Lewis? Um, I don't know. Well, it was like, that was the moment when it went from white boxers to black boxers. And then, it, and then like recently, it's, it's not only not American, it's, it's like, now it's all just these Eastern European guys. Like, the heavyweight champions are all Russian and Ukrainian and stuff. It's just weird. I it's even, completely fallen out of the culture. Like, every aspect of it has fallen out of white culture, black American culture. It's not a part of anything anymore in the U.S. No one cares about boxing here. You remember back in the day when HBO would have these pay-per-view specials where it was like Tyson Holyfield. Yeah, it was yeah, a pay-per-view special. Absolutely. And one guy would pay the twenty nine ninety five to have it in That's his home. It. I've, been, I've been to many of those. He'd invite 15 people yeah. over to watch it. It was a big event. Now yeah. it's just it's so lame. Well, speaking of, uh, speaking then, of lame, speaking of lame, uh, we got we got more fake wrestling over there, don't we? Well, we have uh, we have the uh, uh, World Wrestling Federation uh, uh, Raw, the best of 2010. This See, that's th- that's another one of those uh, WWE deals. This is a, a three disc set. Now, those of you who care about uh, Bret, Bret Hart's return to uh, the WWE and uh, WWF, the... WWE is the oh. parent company. WWF is the uh... See, it gets confusing, doesn't it? Really? All that WW stuff. Um, uh, the Miz, his shocking WWE championship win. I don't know Whatever. what that means. I don't know. Uh, if you want it, you got it. It's all here at three discs. Uh, there's a couple of uh, features, uh, special features, including, I think, all the rise of Randy Orton. And uh, there's uh, more than 20 matches here. So if, if, you, if you dig it, um, you know, then uh, you're out of your mind. Now, speaking of, we were talking about UFC. Here's what we also have this week. Got uh, on DVD and on Blu-ray, and you want it on Blu-ray because the higher resolution blood spurting actually makes a difference. Very important. Very important. Uh, Ultimate Knockouts 8 uh, from UFC. This, this is, you know, if you're, uh, some of this stuff is actually pretty good. Now, my problem with UFC, even though I just kind of praised it in a way, uh, is that it, it's less martial arts than it used to be. When all this stuff started off, before it was really organized, when all these cage matches and stuff, there were a lot of good martial arts in these things. And now it's really just a couple of brutes who occasionally kick each other, but pretty much it's just boxing with smaller gloves. Awesome. Uh, but there are, there are 30 fights here, all of them knockouts as you would imagine for a disc titled Ultimate Knockouts. 
And uh, you get, you know, Chuck Liddell, of course, shows up uh, fighting Shogun Rua and uh, Junior Dos Santos against Gilbert Evel and uh, Josh Koscheck versus Frank Trigg. And most of these names will mean nothing to anybody. They mean nothing to me, frankly, except for Chuck Liddell. Uh, he's the only guy that I know here for sure. But, uh, you know what, I mean, there, there's some decent stuff on here, but pretty much strictly for fans. Though I will say on Blu-ray, y- y- really, the blood, much higher resolution. You actually see a lot more damage, and when I, I say that truly, you see much more damage on the faces. There are cuts you cannot see on the DVD that look like gashes on the Blu-ray. Isn't that's, that nice? That's another reason for me not to buy it. Another reason to get it. Uh, now on to football. The football season is over. Uh, Atlanta Falcons, best games of the 2010 regular season uh, from the good folks at the NFL Network. Now, Falcons had a good year. They were, uh, they were 13-3. and uh, three. Yeah. I think they're really, these guys are really coming on. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's three games here, um, Falcons and Saints, Falcons and Buccaneers, and uh, Falcons and uh, Ravens. And you know what? If you're a Falcons fan, then uh, you cannot love this. I mean, obviously, uh, it was a pretty memorable season. You know, I don't know the last time the Falcons won 13 games in a season. Um, but anyway, three-disc set, uh, good stuff, including the, um, the, the wins over Tampa Bay and Baltimore were uh, particularly, uh, I have to say, exciting. And uh, there you go. It's all about the Falcons, Wade. Falcons well, are coming back. But here's, here's the question. Was, was it all about the Raiders as well? Well, the problem with the Raiders, Wade, yes, is that um, their fans are insane. Is that they is that they they had an eight and eight season, so I don't really yeah. know how best that things well, to get. Well, they also have the best games of the 2010 season for the Raiders. Yes, they had an eight and eight season, Wade. <laughs> I don't know why they did this. Anyway, there are three <laughs> three on here uh, where the Denver Broncos were four and twelve. Maybe I they'll know. have one too. Well, that's it. The first game here is the Raiders versus the at Broncos. They won fifty nine to fourteen, and uh, they beat the Seahawks thirty three to three, and they beat the Chiefs twenty three to twenty in overtime. I, I guess you got to be a pretty hardcore Raiders fan, and there are certainly plenty of them out there. But uh, boy, you remember that? You remember that really odd Super Bowl a few years back? It was uh, the Raiders and the Buccaneers. Arr, pirates versus pirates. Yeah, and, and it was. It was sort of like it was very strange. It was. It was th- this competition of odd fans before the game, and I don't. I think the, the Buccaneers wound up winning, but it just. It was like everyone in the parking lot was dressed like some kind of weird neo post punk pirate freak. It was just the strangest thing I'd ever seen. Hey, Wade, um, uh, yeah. how much does that corn cost? What corn? How much? Ask me how much the corn costs. How much does the corn cost, Mark? A, a buccaneer. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, top ten NFL. <laughs> That's terrible. Let's start the show over again. Uh, top ten NFL greatest players. This is uh, good stuff. Come on, ninety seasons NFL. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you who's number one. This is the best of the best. Top ten NFL's greatest players. Cool. I wonder who's on this thing. I'm not going to say. I, I know. I, I'm not I would. I'm almost more interested in the uh, the poster that they reduced to ridiculous size for that cover. Yeah, this is it's because it, it, you can't tell what it is. No, it's stupid. I mean, it's in poster size. It's it's pretty interesting. Right, but let's let's say okay. I'm sure. Uh, I'll I'll just say. Yeah. Jim Brown, he's yeah. in it. I think there might be a spot for Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Okay. What do you think, uh, Wade? I think is William Refrigerator Perry in there? No. Then I'm not interested. You know, there are there are some more recent players like Ladanian Tomlinson in there, but uh, I my the only you know I pretty much have given up on professional uh, uh, football. But the only there there the moments that I remember when I was younger, which which gave me so much joy, was that year that the uh, the Chicago Bears won the Super Bowl. Uh, I remember when they had the uh, the, the, shuffle, the shuffle, the shuffle, and the whole thing. It was just re- completely ridiculous. And poor McMahon had his career cut short when that idiot from the Green Bay Packers like slammed him on his shoulder. But um, the uh, I, it, there was always so much joy when they took Perry, who of course is not a running back, is not anything other than just a big fat dude, a big fat lineman. But when they would take him, put him on offense, and hand him the ball. And he would just plow through people. Oh, sure. It was unbelievable. It was hysterical. It was a moment of comedy. It was just, de- trying, just watching people trying to tackle him. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was a strategy. I mean, that was, the, that was a Nobody a crazy, else does that. Nobody huh? else does that. That was Ditka. That was all Ditka. That was Ditka. Ditka. Top Bears. Mini Ditka. Top Bears. We had a mini Ditka. Top Bears. Uh, I am, of course, a huge basketball fan, and uh, I got to tell you, the season uh, the Lakers are sucking right now. I mean, they're not sucking terribly. You know, well, but you're, they, you're Lakers. 
It's what getting that, what, strange. It is getting weird, isn't it? That they they go into they go into Boston and they cream the Celtics on their own court. The the team with like the best record in the East. They cream them on their own court, and then just a few days later, they they lose to Cleveland. What 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 is up? What what? How do you do that? Now Cleveland lost how many in a row? Twenty six or something. Twenty six in a row, and then they beat the Clippers, and then they beat the Lakers. What so, what is going on with that? So if you're if That's you're unbelievable. if you're LeBron James, and you yeah. see the cla- and you see that the uh, Cavaliers yes lost twenty six in a row yes what do you think to yourself? Uh, you probably think that uh, you're the bomb. <laughs> That's what it is. I don't know. Do you think that because uh, Le- LeBron used to play for the Cleveland yes, Cavaliers now, last do you th- year? Now, do you think that if he would have stayed, they would have? I'm sure they would not have lost 26 in a row had he oh, stayed. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, that team was decimated when he left. Uh, you know, it it lost the key component. But anyway, uh, on to Blu-rays. We got two interesting Blu-rays this week. Both of them all about Michael Jordan, which is you know odd that we're focusing so heavily on Jordan, but because uh, he hasn't been in the league for ages. But yet we're still all about Jordan. This is the, uh, on Blu-ray, Michael Jordan to the Max. This is the IMAX film on Michael Jordan, which uh, is actually pretty good. Um, it, it's not brilliant. There are, there are better basketball movies, better basketball profiles out there, most of them on ESPN, frankly. I mean, you see, a, if you watch ESPN on any regular basis, there's a lot of really, really well-produced stuff on there. But um, this is okay, and you get uh, you know an audio commentary on here, and a lot of you know behind the scenes stuff, and uh, it's it's strictly for Michael Jordan fans. And since it's an IMAX film and it's on Blu-ray, that's really the way you should watch it. It's if you have a big TV or any kind of a big projection system, it is uh, it's almost like having IMAX in your house. I'll I'll tell you, uh, a lot of interviews with the usual uh, suspects like Phil Jackson and. Uh, Doug Collins, both of whom obviously coached him, and then Bob Costas, who always gets his mug in everywhere. Um, but for my money, frankly, I prefer the uh, Ultimate Jordan Deluxe Limited Edition, which I think is a much better deal for big, huge Jordan fans. Um, this is, uh, I mean, not as dazzling uh, in a single film format, but this is tons and tons of material. Instead of one movie, this is 16 whopping hours including five entire games. Uh, and these are some pretty amazing games, i got to tell you. When he played um, Boston in the 1986 playoffs, he scored 63 points. And then when he played Cleveland in 1990, he scored 69 points. Those are two incredible games, and they're both here in their entirety. And then there's a couple of uh, Utah games, which are always really uh, you know interesting if you want to see him just uh, completely shame Karl Malone and... Uh, and the jazz, but uh, it yeah this is uh, this is really really impressive. And then you get his Hall of Fame induction speech and uh, some stuff from the slam dunk contest. It's uh, and it's it's on uh, Blu-ray and it is fantastically well transferred. So you got to uh, tip your hat to the good people at um, NFL Films. It, it well no it well the the, you know, the NBA really did this. This this is Image released this, uh, which is interesting because a lot of that NBA stuff doesn't necessarily go through Image. So I'm wondering who actually was responsible for mastering it. But it's a good release from Image. It's a it's a good disc. There we are. That's our sports right now. TV or movies, Mark? Oh come on, let's do movies. Okay, we love movies. We'll do movies, then we'll read some listener mail, and then we'll uh, wrap out with TV and some other crap. <gasps> oh, that Blu-ray you're giving it to me. Kites. No, the Criterion. My all-time favorites. I don't know what you're looking at. <laughs> Just stop. You get people all excited. You turn this. Sh- you give. You're you make dead. The, you get make your, the show you're sexual. dead. Get yourself buried. I want that one. <laughs> you're right there. You're giving it to me. Uh, Kites the remix. Did you see Kites, Mark? Uh, no. Okay, well, here's the thing. They're calling it Kites the Remix. It actually includes both the uh, both versions of the film. Kites is an Indian... It was a huge hit in India. And it's an Indian musical. And uh, for some reason, Reliance, who released it in the U.S., didn't think that the original Bollywood version would necessarily uh, swing here. Now, the Bollywood version is not that long. It's not three hours long. It's only 123 minutes. It's just barely over two hours. For Bollywood, that's, that's like a trailer. I know, exactly. But they, they thought, oh, no, we gotta, we got to do something uh, fancier for Hollywood. So they turned it over to an American director to do his version of it, to do his cut of it, which uh, might make sense if, uh, if they were turning it over to a decent director. Do you know who they turned it over to? Uh, Dennis Dugan. Brett Ratner. 
You know, Brett Ratner has this thing about uh, he. Br- Brett Ratner loves Asian films and I Indian am, films. He's a weird guy. He's an odd man. By the way, Wade, yes. you are a cookie filled with arsenic. That's the one I want, and you're a- giving it to me. <laughs> you're a cookie filled with arsenic. Come on, some of my all-time favorites. Uh, you are giving me that one. Yes, yes, that's the exact one you're giving me. Well, I gave you one before the show. We'll talk about that. Uh, anyway, Kites, uh, it doesn't really work in either version, i got to be honest with you. I And I like a lot of Bollywood films. I think a lot of them are cheesy, but I think a lot of them are very good. I don't think this works in either version whatsoever. Uh, it is a, uh, it's kind of a lovers-on-the-run, true-romance type thing, but... Um, there are better Bollywood movies out there. So Reliance was testing the waters a couple of different ways. They released this thing in two different versions, and neither one of them made any money, and neither one of them is all that great. But there's a bit of an American angle to it, a Las Vegas angle. That's why they uh, they tried it. So uh, don't expect any more of these. But if you're interested, if you want to sort of see how the two versions compare, uh, check it out on Blu-ray. It, it is a good transfer. It, uh, it's nice and bright and shiny. Another film that Mark and I absolutely loved, well, Mark loved it. I, of what course, have taste. I didn't love that. I know you didn't. But but we, we had an interesting time watching the <laughs> screening of it. Uh, due date. You know, you, you, you just got a sense that it was this it was this sort of heavy, bloated studio sort of comedy that was it just felt very uh, preordained. It felt yeah. like everything was just happening because it, well, it didn't have any life to it. It was like, you know, here's the thing. Todd Phillips has had an unexpected hit with The Hangover, and you got to follow it up with something. And obviously somewhere across the, the radar came the idea of, hey, why don't you get Zach Galifianakis in your movie again? Robert Downey Jr. is kind of hot again. So uh, do, uh, do, them, do plain strands and automobiles with the two of them. Like, just do that kind of a thing. And it ain't funny. It really it just, isn't. It's not funny. And I love, you know what? I love Zach Galifianakis. I used to see him perform at, uh, at Largo for years before he became famous. And uh, I've seen him live many times, and he's absolutely hilarious. And... The thing with with Galifianakis when we were watching him live, you know, for all those years at Largo, yeah. is that um, we were afraid there was no place for him in movies because he's True. just such an odd character. True. I mean, why would this guy yep. become almost uh, become famous? I mean, almost I not a leading man, but a, a very strong yeah. co-star. Yeah, and he's done it. He did it in uh, uh, did. that movie you love. A funny thing uh, happened on the way to the fort. What was it called again? A funny thing happened. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a funny, a funny story. It's kind of a funny story. Which you loved? Yeah. He's really good in it. You know, I'm telling you. But this is so just... The, the, the problem here is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a very, very funny film. Beautifully done by John Hughes back in the day with two guys who really had chemistry and there was pathos. And the twists and turns kind of made sense. It was organic. Here, it's like, oh, we need a joke, so let's just think up a, a thing for them for to happen. just out of the And things happen for no reason. I mean, the detours are not motivated by anything in the story. They're just motivated because they need a detour for a joke. Including a detour to go meet Jamie Foxx, who's in there for like three scenes. Yeah, and... and drops from the sky. And the detour to go and meet uh, 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 Juliet... Uh, what's her name? She was funny, though. Uh, yeah, she's... I guess. But no, because she, she understands... She understands the movie she's in. Yeah. Which is just, just big, ridiculous, go over the top. Come on, it's it's due date. By the way, I'm not a fan of The Hangover. I didn't think it was that funny. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was that funny either. But it, but it's funnier than this, that's for sure. Anyway, uh, there's a, there's a, there's just junk on here as far as the extras. Um, there's okay. There's a. Well, I don't want to give this away because there's a bit at the end where Zach Galifianakis shows up on a certain sitcom. Well, they have the complete scene that they shot for that that bogus sitcom scene. Bunch of additional scenes, an action mashup, which is just stupid. It's just a waste of space, and then uh, a bunch of other junk gag reel. It's really just a pointless film, absolutely pointless film, horrible. No, I'm not going to touch on that yet. Wade, you have more twists than a barrel full of pretzels. We're going to talk about Fish Tank right now. I like them. I like this movie a lot. I, Blu-ray I think, from I, I, Criterion. That, by the way, that's not the Criterion I'm talking about. But I have to say that Andrea Arnold, the director of this film, so talented, super talented, and this is a good movie. It is a good movie. Super talented, and she won a jury prize at the Cannes Film Festival for this. The actress who plays in this, Katie Jarvis, I've never seen before, but she's phenomenal. Oh, she's fantastic. She's phenomenal. And you know what? This came out. This was one of the first, I would say. 10 films I saw in 2010. Yeah. So we're talking, it came out in January in the yeah. States. So by the time it was, it was awards time, you know, it's 10 months later now. Yeah. 
this thing came out in January, nobody's going to remember it. No. You know, if this thing had come and they out, didn't. if this thing had come out in whatever in in in, in November, yeah. You know, maybe Jarvis, maybe Arnold. Here's the thing, you know, it's it's really, really good, and it did get a lot of love in in England, uh, Andrea Arnold's home country. But it uh, here it was released by IFC Films, who kind of just spat it out without a lot of attention. So I'm really thrilled uh, that because normally that IFC stuff gets released by IFC, and that means that Criterion actually actively sought this out. Criterion really went to IFC and said, "We will make a deal with you so that we can release Fish Tank on Criterion and take it away from you, so you don't do it." Uh, I don't know what the content of that uh, deal was, but thank goodness they did it because it is absolutely terrific and it's really beautiful. In addition to the movie, you get three short films by Andrea Arnold, uh, Milk, Dog, and Wasp, all made over the last decade, and uh, uh, some audition footage and a bunch of other really good stuff, plus a great essay by Ian Christie. But here's the thing about Fish Tank. It's, It's the story of a young girl who lives in a housing project in England and just this horrible, miserable, gritty life that she has and yet how she kind of, in in a way, it, dancing is a bit of her escape. You know, hip-hop dancing. And it, it just, it, it feels like, it feels more authentic than any of those Ken Loach films uh, that were, that's sort of supposed to do the same thing. You know, like Lady Bird, Lady Bird. And there are a lot of those that kind of try to go to the same place. But I think she does, she does it even more authentically. I agree. It's, it's very, just it's, so it's, good. It's, she's very good. She has to carry a lot of it by herself, a lot of it without dialogue. Yeah. She has, she has this horrible family situation that she has to live through. And, uh, great she's performance great. by Michael Fassbender, too, who I normally don't particularly care for. Now, Michael Fa- now he's sort of become a bit of a thing. You know, he's kind of, uh, you know, I'm not sure he would go back and do a film like this now that he's starring in X-Men 3 or whatever it's called, X-Men First Class. Yeah, I know. You know? Wait, why are you not... Because uh, I'm taking just, I'm Wait, toying. I I'm, love this dirty town. I'm toying with you. You're not, you're our, not our fans have probably already recognized all the quotes. You're not going to give it to me, are you? Senso is a fan. I, I'm going to say that Senso may be the best film that we were, uh, we're talking about this week. It's the only foreign language classic we're talking about this week from 1954, uh, Lucino Visconti. And a lot of people have complained that Visconti movies are not coming out on Blu-ray uh, fast enough. They, have, they never even came out on DVD fast enough. But Criterion is uh, remedying the situation. And Senso is really great. This is an unbelievably well-photographed movie. Gorgeous, gorgeous color photography that just blows your mind. In 1954, you know, that's the age when things were just glorious color, especially in Italian movies. And uh, assuming they had the money to make them. Still primarily a black and white era. But uh, this is just absolutely fantastic. Beautiful period piece. Um, Stars the beautiful Alita Valley as the 19th century countess who just created all kinds of scandal by uh, with this uh, this affair that she had. It's you know a little bit in that Madame Bovary uh, Ryan's daughter vein, but really, really just it's so gorgeously made you just can't believe it. So it really kind of stands in the class all of its own. Uh, Farley Granger is in it if you remember him from uh, things like Strangers on a Train and stuff like that. Farley Granger is so good. Uh, yeah, it's just a gorgeous film. Tons of extras on here. Uh, the um, the there, there's the a thing here, the Wanton Countess, which is uh, basically the same story in English. Uh, a documentary on the making of the film, and just uh, stuff, all the usual great stuff here. There's a visual essay by Peter Cowie, who does a lot of uh, commentaries for uh, Criterion uh, stuff. This great 1966 BBC program on Visconti. Um, you know, everything you ever wanted to know about this movie and about Visconti. It's right here. Senso. Absolutely brilliant film. Don't miss it. That's a must-have. Oh! You had your, you had your left hand on it. Mark. Oh, we're, come on. You're mean. We, we got to tout ourselves this week. Yeah, but you're mean. got to tout ourselves. There's, another, there's a release from Vanguard this week that we need to talk about because... Uh, We've been doing our commentaries. Fine. I'll talk about it with no enthusiasm because I saw what you were shooting for and you didn't pick it up and said, and ironically enough, you used your arm to pick up the DVD for Armless. Now, Armless is a Vanguard film starring Daniel London and uh, Janelle Maloney. Oh, I'll take it anyway. I'll take it anyway. If you're going to give it to me, I'll take it. I'll take it. You can put down your pants. I'll take it. Well, well, not. I'll take it anyway. On the outside of your pants, please. Not the inside. Uh, <laughs> the, the DVD that Wade just put under his shirt, but not quite down his pants, and will uh, and he's going to give me. I'm going to wrest it from his brain, 
uh, uh, we'll talk about in a second. But first, it's Armless. Armless is a film that Wade and I did an audio commentary for because we do audio commentaries for uh, Vanguard Films. This is a very interesting film about a man who has um, body integrity identity disorder. And you've, you've had that before, haven't you? Yes. I've cut off my own sense of uh, goodwill. Um, I don't know what that meant. Um, and this guy, played by Daniel London, uh, quite well, actually, he has this thing where he really wants to cut off his arms. And it is not played for comedy. It's played for a bit of uh, pathos. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a bizarre situation on its face, so there's a little bit of weirdness there. But it's really not played for comedy. And uh, so this guy... Uh, who really wants, he has a real psychological condition and he wants to chop his arms off and his wife is confused and he goes to a doctor who's going to maybe help him, maybe not help him. And uh, the director, Habib Azar, does an interesting job in maintaining this tone and getting all the performers on sort of a same, on, sort of on, on the same tonal page. And I think he does a good job at that. You know, uh, we do, we did an audio commentary for it, so that in and of itself is the reason why you should be absolutely harmless. It was uh, this is one of those independent films that there, there are certain independent films that go out on a real limb. They really take a risk with subject matter and uh, concepts, and you know, it, it's a trick because you you can really fall on your face or you can pull it off. But either way, people are going to be a little bit taken aback by it because it's not what you expect. And this is one of them. And I think they, you know, it, you, you got to applaud them for uh, for even going there. You just, you just have to because it's just so out there. And yet, you know, you walk away. And I never knew about uh, body identity. Uh, body integrity, integrity identity disorder. Com- disorder yeah. B-I-I-D. That's it. And now you know. Yep. And, of course, you'll know a lot more about the film because Wade and I talk about it in depth on our audio commentary. Oh. We're going to talk about it now, Mark. I hate this movie. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> Criterion has, uh, has done a wonderful thing. The Alexander McKendrick film from uh, 1957, the beautiful black and white, unbelievably well photographed, courtesy of James Wong Howe, incredibly cool um, super cool thanks to the Clifford Odets and Ernest Lehman screenplay. I mean, think about that right now. Clifford Odets and Ernest Lehman writing a script. Both of those guys on a script. That's unbelievable. And they wrote an unbelievable script. And it, it's an incredible script. It, so quotable. I, I was just quoting it uh, for the last 10 minutes. With dazzling music. Some of the coolest music yeah, ever, jazz ever, and music. ever, ever written for a movie thanks to uh, Elmer Bernstein. Uh, this is, of course, Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis in the scathing, the wicked, the sizzling, the just down and dirty look at the entertainment business, uh, The Sweet Smell of Success. I love this movie. It is a, this, this movie is almost more timely today than it was at the time. It is a, this is just a scathing film, and uh, it's got great extras. The, this is one of those movies where I would say the extras are almost as great as the movie is. The extras are almost more important than the movie. Uh, the restoration from the original 35mm camera negative is so glorious. They didn't send us the DVD, but I cannot imagine that this movie could be seen in any way other than Blu-ray. This is so pristine, so dazzling, so silvery, so shimmery, and so just gritty at the same time. It's a perfect transfer. Um, Bravo to Criterion. They're just raising the bar. I can't even imagine this working in streaming. I just can't. This, in, in addition to this movie, and by the way, tell me Burt Lancaster is not just, he's just like the face of, he's the face of passive evil in this movie. You're dead, son. Get yourself buried. He's just a face of passive evil. That's what he is. And you know, this is not this is not a movie about about like movie stars in their age. No, this no, no, a, no. He's a JJ Hunsaker is a Broadway. It's a uh, he's a Broadway columnist. Yes, this is in New York. And, and Tony, Tony Curtis, Curtis plays the publicist. A, yes, yeah. And it's it is about basically it's something that we understand a lot, which is the relationship between publicists and journalists. Except it's just so toxic and poisonous in this movie. You know, I mean, everybody is using everybody, and in the film, JJ Hunsaker is—he is the power player. Yeah, he's the guy where if you can convince JJ to yeah. say something about your client, <sighs> your client is made. He is the man. So amazing. And 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 sit and and uh, Tony Curtis as a kind of a this wormy bottom feeder type press agent. Yes. Would you say I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say only two movies have ever photographically captured New York? For what it really is. Taxi Driver. 
No, I was going to say this and Manhattan. Oh well, Manhattan. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. And both because because to me, New York. Whenever I'm in Manhattan, it's a black and white town. Oh yeah. Like I'm walking down those streets and I just see that place in black and white. Oh sure. Uh, but and, you know what? But but there's some great noir that, that also photograph like like like, like the Naked City. True. Very did a great true. job photographing. I take York. it back. Anyway, you're a big jerk. Uh, you know what? You know what's really almost worth the price alone here is the um, the documentary from 1986, McKendrick, the man who walked away. Uh, which, if you don't know who Alexander McKendrick was or why he's important, gotta watch it. Uh, it includes Austin interviews. Yeah. It now he also wrote a uh, uh, what's his name? McKendrick also wrote a great book on filmmaking, which I have. It is. It's really it's terrific. Really, it's a good book. It's a great he, book. He, he, here's what he did in this book, which whose name I forgot, but you can look it up. It's on Amazon. He actually took all of the written prepared material that he gave to his students. Yeah. He actually bound it all up and made it into yep. this book. Yeah. And it's very good. And uh, then you also get an audio commentary with uh, James Naramore, who's the who's a film scholar and does a very very good job of uh, giving you kind of all the necessary little beats while you watch it. Uh, and then there's a, a video interview with Neil Gabler, who of course is a you know film critic and a film historian himself. Uh, that's all where he talks about uh, Walter Winchell, who I didn't know this before was actually the inspiration for J.J. Hunsaker. Yes. Yeah, Walter Winchell, not the donut guy, right? Uh, no, that's uh, Walter uh, Krispy yeah. Kreme. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> and then James Mangold, who uh, apparently was taught by McKendrick, uh, he also shows up on here, although that's not that great. But uh, this is just absolutely terrific. 4K, so. wait, this is a 4K, this is 4K res. Give me that. Yeah, give me I that have already. to stick it down my pants later. Uh, I want I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, excrete on it. I'll take it anyway. Because it's still wrapped. <laughs> take the wrapping off. You're silly. You're a silly man. Okay. Uh, Memento also shows up on Blu-ray this, uh, this fabulous, lovely week uh, where we have a, we get a, lot, a lot of interesting little, uh, little new ditties here. Um, Let me just see it. Let me just look at it. <laughs> there you go. You're a silly man. I may never give it back. You're a silly man. Uh, Memento, Christopher Nolan's first big film, not his first film, but his first big film, the one that really put him on the map, uh, which stars Guy Pierce as a guy with amnesia who, well, it's not entirely amnesia. He's, he's got a memory issue. The whole thing is really a contrivance, and you would think that, um, you know, I mean, is Memento really as clever to it you is. today? It holds up. Does it hold? Yep. You think it holds up? Yep, I like it. It's good. See, really, you don't? I don't know that it's, well, here's the thing. Memento, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's, uh, the, the conceit is that the movie is told in reverse order. It's told from the, the, the end all the way to the beginning, and you learn the story in reverse. And you know, the, the character of uh, Guy Pierce, in order to achieve the mission that he has set out for himself, he tattoos clues on himself so that he can jog his failing memory. Is that a fair way of not giving anything away? That is exactly what happens. Okay. And uh, I think it's extremely well done for a low-budget film of this sort. But I got to say, now that I've seen it about three or four times, I kind of see the gears turning while I'm watching it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of see the gears turning. I still love uh, Guy Pearce's performance. I think it's terrific. But uh, yeah, I kind of see the, you know, it's like looking inside of a, a wristwatch. I kind of see it. But anyway, uh, very, very good transfer. I uh, will say I'm glad that they have uh, put it onto Blu-ray. It belongs on Blu-ray. It, uh, more for the audio than almost anything else. And uh, among the extras included here is the original uh, Jonathan Nolan. That's Christopher Nolan's brother. It's uh, the original Jonathan Nolan short story, Memento Mori, that it's based on. And uh, you get an IFC interview with Christopher Nolan and uh, the anatomy of a scene tidbit and a few other things, plus the Christopher Nolan commentary that has been previously on here. Uh, I'm glad it's on Blu-ray because I hated that uh, freaking DVD that... Uh, give me nothing. Hold, hold on. Give, give, me, give me that. I want that. Well, we'll... Uh, give me that audio. We'll barter. We'll barter? We'll barter. I don't have anything you want. Uh, Daughters of Darkness on Blu-ray. From Blue Underground, Daughters of Darkness is uh, just a, a flat-out wacky, crazy, nutty, kind of cheesy, and yet somehow strangely entertaining exploitation film about vampires. Uh, the uh, it's the str- this is one of the oddest exploitation films you're likely to ever see. It is uh, a European production, and it 
has almost a softcore porn thing going. Uh, sometimes even a little harder than softcore porn. But uh, there's almost no way to really describe this. It is very beautifully photographed. It is extremely campy in, in places. And yet you cringe and... Uh, and squirm in other places. I'm not sure uh, whom, for whom this was made, but anyway, this is the uncensored cut of this thing. And uh, you also get, a uh, among the extras, the blood-spattered bride, which, uh, you know, if that, if, if, if that really floats your boat, then go for it. That's actually the prequel to, uh, to The Bride Goes to the Dry Cleaners. Yeah, well, anyway, you get, uh, you get some uh, interviews on here and... Uh, Boy, I'll tell you, it's just, it's, you know, you have to be really into that kind of softcore European uh, horror sexual stuff from Which the 70s. Which I am not. But you're into The Last Unicorn, aren't you? That's actually the uh, sequel to the second to Last Unicorn. Do you, do you, know, you know why yeah. I like The Last Unicorn? Now, now, this is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack for it's this movie. It's more like a My Little Pony type movie. It kind of is. This was back in the uh, the like the like early 80s. Rankin Bass, who of course did all of those great uh, stop-motion animated uh, holiday specials like Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Little Drummer Boy, and you know all that stuff. The uh, and who also did regular animated stuff like Cross to the Snowman. They were trying to do a lot more real movie, real animated movie stuff. And among the things that they tried their hand at was The Hobbit. You know, they tried doing The Hobbit. Sure. And then they did uh, The Last Unicorn, which was sort of the the end, the beginning of the end. Now they had some great voice talent in here: Alan Arkin, Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow, Angela Lansbury, Al- Angela Lansbury, Christopher Lee. Keenan Wynn. I mean, it really some Keenan Harvey Wayans. But the thing that really Keenan make, Kel. Absolutely. Yes. Keenan. Are you done? Alan Keyes. <laughs> Alan Keyes. Alan in Keyes it. is in it. Yeah. Keyes Toyota's That's in it. It's unbelievable. <laughs> My favorite Toyota dealer. Keyes Toyota. Wow, is that a regional joke? Okay. Uh, the songs, however, this is what really dates it. The songs were all written by America, who sort of by, ha- by the band by the, the band. group. Yeah. Not by the entire country, the, 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 but the group. Uh, in fact, I just heard like their very last hit. Their last, I think, top ten hit was uh, You Can Do Magic. I was just listening to that on the radio today. Loser. Like a little little streak of uh, whatever. Done. Anyway, uh, it, it, it's, it's cute. It's sweet. It's well animated. It definitely is a little dated. The music's a little bit dated, but still fun. And uh, a lot of extras here on the, uh, on the Blu-ray. Not so much on the DVD. So um, it's, uh, you know, unfortunately you're probably not going to be able to watch a lot of the extras if you're, uh, if you're looking for them on, if you only buy it for the DVD. So, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it's cute. It's good for the kids. I'd say it's a better family film than it really gets. We should recommend this to Philip Nelson for Stupid for Movies, shouldn't we? But that's a good question. We should do that. That's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I might recommend that to him. Nice little Rankin-Bass special there. By the way, watch us on Stupid for Movies Thursday evenings. We're not going to be on this next week, taking a week off, but we'll be back next week, Thursday evenings, 8 p.m. Pacific time, stupidformovies.com. Yeah, and watch our Oscar show, Wade. We did an Oscar show. We did an Oscar show, really good Oscar show. Yes, uh, we both wore a suit. Uh, that one suit between the two of us. Yes. Very strange. I only own one suit, by the way. And uh, if you haven't heard of Birdemic, Shock and Terror, uh, it's one of the worst films ever made. It is truly considered so unbelievably horribly awful, and uh, apparently they never really intended to make an awful movie. James Wynn, who wrote and directed it, uh, and that is James Wynn spelled the Vietnamese way, that's uh, N-G-U-Y-E-N, pronounced Wynn, um, is a terrible, terrible, terrible filmmaker. Um, he is also the DP on this thing and the producer and the executive producer which probably explains a lot his name shows up almost as many times as you would expect Robert Rodriguez's name to show up this is a horrible movie his audio commentary is also horrible it's terrible Uh, everything about this movie is dreadful Uh, and people yet love it it's become kind of a weird cult favorite Uh, but honestly if you want to see a real movie go see The Birds just go see the birds. Hitchcock's film, not well, great. I, I totally disagree. I think this is better than the birds. Yeah. Well. Pandemic. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Beautiful. But uh, Tippi Hedren actually uh, makes a um, a guest appearance in this, and in honor of her appearance in this movie, they misspell her name on the back. <laughs> they spell it as Tippi Hendren. Oh Lord! Isn't that awesome? Isn't Gosh, that awesome? Darn it. 
<laughs> Dang flammit. It's this is mind-boggling. Anyway, that's uh, this is from uh, MPI and Severin Films, and you know what? Honestly, nothing I say about this movie will make a difference because people either love it or hate it, and they love to hate it. So there you go. Uh, wait on Blu-ray also is uh, Get Low, Get Low with uh, Robert I like Duvall. This. Yeah, I liked it too. It's a nice little modest film. I don't know that, that the uh, I don't know that the uh, the ultimate payoff wind up being really worth the wind-up, but uh, Robert Duvall plays a uh, hermit who is uh, living very much in seclusion and there's a whole lot of stories that are circulating around him uh, over the years in this small town. And he emerges from seclusion to because uh, he has a plan to throw his own funeral before he dies. It turns out there's a reason why he wants to throw a funeral for himself before he dies, because he's got something to say, Wade. And uh, Bill Murray plays the funeral director, and anything Bill Murray is in, especially in a supporting role, uh, there's, he always adds a bit of uh, funk to it, especially in, in, in supporting roles. And uh, Lucas Black is very good. Uh, Sissy Spacek. Actually, Sissy Spacek really uh, throws a lot of emotion into the film. She's really kind of the heart of it, in a sense. And uh, this is a uh, film by a young man named Aaron Schneider. And uh, it's good. You know, you know. There's also another uh, another generation of a very famous filmmaking producing family that was involved in this, and that's the Zanex. You have the third generation of Zanex involved in trying to get this thing made. And Shecky uh, Zanek? Uh, no, that would be Harrison Zanek. And um, Shecky Zanek? They were not able to raise the money for this thing until Bill Murray signed on, and even then, it was still hard. And it's just wrong. I mean, this movie wound up making money, and Schneider's a very good director, and it's very nicely made and well-acted. And uh, you know, frankly, I think Bill Murray's kind of the only weak link in it. He almost sort of doesn't belong in the movie. But I thought this was very good, well, and I'm, what, I'm what, sorry it didn't get any uh, any Oscar love. Well, what I liked about Bill Murray in it is that he's, he's such an odd energy, no matter what he's in, but he sort of – he does – Give the movie this sort of folkloric, he does. sort of uh, he does. A, a fairy tale, apocryphal-ish sort of energy, which I liked. Well, we're going to get uh, we're going to blow through lightning round here with some uh, some emails, listener mail, and we got one here from Luke Weber who says, "Working on an informative speech for one of my classes after your worst of 2010 show, I was inspired to spread the word on why movies are awful these days. I was wondering if you guys could elaborate on the subject a little. For example, I'm not fully aware of the Great Purge of a couple of years ago. What exactly happened? Also, I would really appreciate it if you could tell me in what context Paula Watkins said that studios can only make a 100 million dollar film. Um, you know the uh, and I emailed him back a little bit more detailed on this, but basically the Great Purge was the moment a few years ago when. Uh, the corporate ownership of all the studios effectively trickled down the word that we are not interested in making little movies that only earn a little bit of money over a long period of time. We need big movies that earn a lot of money quickly so that it impacts our bottom line for quarterly reporting because we are publicly owned and uh, little movies that make a few million dollars over the course of 12 months really don't put a dent in that. We need to show hundreds of million dollars of profit in in a three-month period of time. That's why every movie has to cost $100 million because you got to spend $100 million to make it and then another $100 million to market it. And over the course of three months, you throw it into 5,000 theaters and it delivers big, not just in movie earnings, but in toys and games and crossovers and Happy Meals and T-shirts and everything else. And that's what they want to make. They don't want to make those little movies. And it also those big movies also clear out in a month and they're replaced and the next by the next in. one. And the it next becomes one. this sort of this train. So, and, and as a result, they killed all of those little companies that were making the specialty films for the studios. The Paramount Classics, gone. Turned into Paramount Vantage, which then lost $150 million and gone. Miramax, gone from Disney. Uh, you know, then Warner killed Warner Independent. And then they killed Picture House. And they killed New Line. And, you know, pretty soon we had lost like half a dozen major independent distributors. In about a year and a half, and uh, nobody has yet really come back to replace them, although we're slowly seeing signs that the market is coming back. There are a lot of promising developments, uh, a few promising new companies, uh, like this new alliance between Regal and AMC that Tom Ortenberg, formerly of Lionsgate, is going to run. That's a very interesting development, so I'm encouraged. I think IFC is good with that stuff. I think uh, getting better. I think getting Weinstein better. Company, I think, is uh, is one of the last bastions out there. Well, there, you know what? Frankly, honestly, if uh, King's Speech goes on and wins all the Oscars we expect it to, that's going to put Weinstein Company right back in the map. It really will. I hope so. That's sure. To, that's, and you and know that's, what? Nobody, nobody really, nobody rooted for. Harvey Scissorhands for all those years, yeah. even though they begrudged him the quality product he came out with. But given that, 
to have him back at this particular point, yep. where it's all about Transformer films, True. he could be. He could really. He could really uh, uh, plant his flag. Absolutely. In an area of filmmaking that has really gone fallow. I agree. Uh, we got one from Timothy Struble who says, I consider myself a Blu-ray junkie. I usually buy one Blu-ray every one or two weeks. And I was wondering if you know of any websites that do comparisons between Blu-rays and their DVD counterpart and their reviews. I want to see how the visual quality differs and if it's worth purchasing. Uh, you, know who, you, know, you know who does that is um, DVD Beaver. Yeah, I was going to say DVD Beaver. Uh, obviously, uh, IGN does a great job in their, their written reviews. Always go over and check out the DVD section at IGN. And uh, I would also say the Digital Bits does a very good job. Digital Bits, too. <clears throat> yeah, DVD, DVD Beaver is great. Uh, it's a well, really good site. What's good with DVD Beaver, the reason I like those guys is because they will, and we don't know them, we're just saying it, Yeah, uh, is because they take huge screen grabs, huge yeah. detailed screen grabs. They so really, really get into it. really take a look at it. Uh, Timothy also asks, if we've heard if Paramount or CBS plan on releasing Star Trek The Next Generation on Blu-ray, and uh, the answer is no. Haven't heard that yet. They better. You know why? Why? Because I'm going to buy it. Okay. I want to get like a big box set, all seven seasons. And uh, Sean writes us and says, Sean's a longtime listener. He says, I just watched a spectacular movie called three in 3D called Sea Monsters. I don't have a 3D TV, and I used ordinary cheap 3D glasses, and the effects were amazing. Freaking dinosaurs coming right out of my TV. My question is, if this company can release a Blu-ray with effects this amazing, why should anyone invest in a 3D TV? And my answer is they shouldn't. You're mean. Simple. Done. All done. And then Eric Altieri, another longtime listener, says, I have only recently joined the Blu-ray party. Finally bought an HDTV. And so excited by my first Blu-ray, The Dark Knight, uh, and was so thrilled with the quality of the picture and the extras weren't, uh, and was thrilled with the quality of the picture and the extras that weren't on the DVD release. Since then, bought a, uh, rented a number of Blu-rays from Netflix, and I've noticed things I'm not too thrilled about. Mandatory trailers, awkward menu screens, some discs don't even work. Made me wonder if the format is really the start of a new era of home theater. Then I saw this article in one of my favorite blogs, which was on Slash Film. And uh, he says it basically talks about uh, Blu-ray's problems relative to DVD. And he says, I don't experience most of the technical, technical issues in the article, but I can see how these issues would deter most casual movie fans to shy away from the format and opt for standard def or forego physical media and go straight to streaming. What are your thoughts on the issues? Do you think Blu-ray has a future ahead of itself? Do you think the problems will go away in the future or that the format will suffer? It, basically what he's talking about, it, it, here's a problem with Blu-ray. Blu-ray, unlike HD DVD, was, is not a, a sealed uh, standard. It's a very malleable, evolving standard, which, which allows Blu-ray developers to do all kinds of things from a software standpoint that keeps the hardware manufacturers on their toes. So every, everybody is always issuing these, these firmware updates to keep up with discs that do strange, new, and different things. It's very kind of Wild West out there. And I, I think that creates a little bit of a version of the format. Some Blu-rays, even if you have a great Blu-ray player, honestly... There are times when I'll put a, put a Blu-ray in, and I sit there, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I go, it's very annoying. And I go, I wonder if I need to update my firmware. And after, like, 90 seconds, it'll finally load and go, and you go, oh, thank goodness. And so, yeah, there is that moment with a lot of Blu-rays where, where you're on pins and needles going, and uh, it, it's it, it can be, but you know, once it once you know it works, you're you're good to go. I think the format's going to become a collector's format, a cinephile format. I don't think it'll ever become mainstream because nobody really wants to collect anything in Blu-ray except the stuff you really love. It's easier to stream. Well, I have to say that uh, when it, you know I'm starting to turn my DVDs around and get Blu-rays, and I do find myself only replacing the films that I love. I, I really don't want to replace everything. Because that's too much. Well, I really watch a lot of this stuff. But the movies I love, like let's say Sweet Smell of Success, um, that I want on Blu-ray. Uh, so it is becoming like Laserdisc. Yes. Got a new, new listener from England. Ed writes us, hi, guy. It's almost a haiku. It's like an extended haiku. Hi, guys. Evening from England. Just found you on iTunes. I believe every Tuesday. Maybe Wednesday before iTunes UK gets it. Very slow. Just got to check when the Blu-rays come out here. I love the podcast. Two guys who love movies. Thanks for a great podcast. Yours, Ed. Thank you, Ed. And David Stromenger, our last uh, mail of the list, the, the last email of the week. 
You might want to mention this on the show, as some people might not be aware of it, but Target and Best Buy have gotten a bunch of exclusive Blu-ray releases. This isn't a complete list, but some of the titles recently include Heavy Metal, Poltergeist 2, Robocop 2, Robocop 3, Last House on the Left, Hannibal, Long Kiss, Goodnight, Almost Famous, Anchorman, and The Cove. Target has Four Weddings and a Funeral, The Cutting Edge, Honeymoon in Vegas, uh, Overboard, The Magnificent Seven, A Fistful of Dollars, and For a Few Dollars More. Uh, good to know. You know, wait, someone still uses something I said on the show as their, uh, as their signature when they log on, when they uh, leave messages on message boards. Really? Yeah, this guy named Chesky. Cool. I'm, his signature is, this is what I said on some show a few years ago. Okay. And he uses it as his signature, and he does give me credit in the signature. Cool. The signature, the line I said was, men just want a video game, oral sex, and a sandwich. Oh, I love that. And uh, he, that's a signature. Men just Beautiful. want video games. Uh, men, just, men just want a video game, oral sex, and a sandwich. Mark Heiser. Sweet. That is Chesky's signature. Mark, let's do some TV. Wrap, wrap the show out with TV. Let's do some TV. Uh, Nikki Blonsky, who was so terrific in the uh, film version of Hairspray, uh, she really hasn't done a whole lot, but she is in this ABC Family show called Huge. And uh, the show didn't do very well, so we have the... You mean complete... it wasn't huge? No. No. It was the opposite of huge, uh, which is to say it's canceled. Uh, so the complete series is now available on uh, DVD. This is from the good people at Chat Factory. And, uh, you know, the show, you know, it's okay, I guess. It's based on a book and, uh, you know, has Paul Dooley in it because who, who doesn't love Paul Dooley? Come on, wait. You know Paul Dooley? You know who he was? Paul Dooley? Yes. Of course I know Paul Dooley. He was wimpy. That's right. But not only was he, well, you know, the, Paul Dooley and uh, our good friend Richie's dad, uh, Richard Libertini, the amazing character actor, they used to do Second City stuff together. That's that right? why they were together in, uh, in Popeye. I, you, know, you know what I just realized? He was, he was wimpy, and, uh, and Richard Libertini was um, the Undertaker guy. I saw Paul. Diesel or whatever his name is. I saw Paul Dooley at the uh, New Year's Eve party I went to. Oh, really? Yes. He's I all did. over town. He's everywhere. He is not. He is. We used to see him at the Amazing Onion, Onion Heads shows. Really? Yeah. Wow. By the way, you know, one of the amazing onion heads is in uh, The Fighter. Is that right? Yep, he sure is. Uh, Blu-ray. This is season four of Ice Road Truckers. Everyone loves the Ice Road Truckers, right, Ray? Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah those guys are insane. I know, they, I know, they, uh, I know you got to have a job, but... You know, they're in Alaska, and they're driving their trucks over frozen rivers and, uh, and swamps and uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. You know what? They really do make it exciting, I do have to say. Yeah. 16 episodes. Do you need it on Blu-ray? Um, you know, not really. But uh, it's good stuff. It, it is, really. I don't know how they maintain that tension from year to year, but they do. Uh, Edie Falco and Nurse Jackie, Season 2, great Showtime series. i got to tell you, there's no reason to like this other than Edie Falco, who's a terrific actress, and she makes it worth watching, even though the show, frankly, isn't. there's nothing new here. But uh, she is a terrific actress. It's on Blu-ray. They sent it to us on Blu-ray. I don't know if you really got to watch it on Blu-ray. I think it works if you can. Streaming is probably just as well. But uh, some people really, they, they got to be able to see the uh, texture on her face. So I suppose, I suppose. Uh, a little bit better is season six of Weeds, which frankly I think has gotten to be a really interesting show. Uh, they, uh, they threw a real number at you at the end of season five. And now season six is kind of, uh, it's fugitive time. For these pot dealing wacky people, uh, really a terrific cast. I, I got to tell you, just an unbelievably cool cast uh, on this show. The, another Showtime series that is um, really kind of, I think, starting to compete well with what a HBO does as far as original programming. So, um, cast you know, Al- Albert Brooks appears on this show. I know, I know. Al- cast and crew commentaries. Uh, gosh, Kevin Nealon is just—it's amazing how good he's become on this show. Much better here than in that in the dreadful new Adam Sandler movie. And uh, a thing called here called Fandemonium, where the, uh, the creators uh, kind of give you a big peek into the show and their, and their process. So uh, definitely check that out. I think Weeds uh, Season 6, that's a goodie. Um, all right. With that, we are done. Uh, send us email at gods at digigods.com. Anything you want. Talk, uh, talk to us about anything. We may even read it on the show. And check us out at gods at digigods.com. Thursdays at 8 Pacific time. Oui!